This episode of Reasonably Spontaneous Conversation is brought to you in part by Clay Boykin Life and Business Coaching, because we all get stuck at times. For more information, visit clayboykin.com. By Janelle Bean, for fun and engaging children's books with cute and colorful characters. For more information, visit janellebean.com. And by Wise Owl Organizing, simply set up for you. Organizing consulting and clarity coaching, virtual or in person. For more information, visit wiseowlorganizing.com. Hello, world. It's me, Dennis, and I'm here with my friend, Frank Butterfield. Hello, Frank. Hey, Dennis. How are you? Well, I am following your path. Your path, I have said often, as I've said on the show, that, that to be a working artist, an artist who actually is able to take their art and to make a living on it, to actually to make a living. I, you know, on this outside sphere, there are those who happen to pop up, you know, and make the multi-million dollars. And then there is the working artist, this idea of being able to be a working artist. And that's the sphere that I want to get. And that's the sphere that you have made. You have, you have made it and you're there. Congratulations. Thank you very much. This is for the fans of Frank Butterfield. The ones that the ones that, who have been reading your books, you're you're so prolific, and you're also take me back to the beginning of when you had the idea that you were going to be able to start writing. And you started so take, let's let's go back to the year. Let's go back to the time. Your mindset. What was going on? Well, it happened in uh, May of 2016. Mm -hmm. I had been writing kind of fanfic of sorts and um, wanted to publish it. And I showed it to some friends and they were like, no, you can't publish that. And they were right. Um, and so that night I went home and I sat down and I was just like, I want to write a book that will sell. A book I want to read and a book that will sell. And that's when, and the words just came to me, literally. Um, and that's how it started. And I did the first book and uh, the people that I showed it to were like, oh, this is good. And I was like, great. And so then I published that after a little bit of going back and forth. Then I did right. How did you publish it before you, you know, take right. what it was that so, process? So prior to this, I had done, I had self-published some nonfiction, right. which sold fine, that sort of thing. I, I had all this background knowledge. So when I published it, I decided, well, I'm just going to do this, the fast and simple thing, which is use Amazon. Mm -hmm. And and they um, had already at that time in 2016 they had set up the the all the background that would allow that to happen, right? So Kindle had been in play for I don't know how many years, but for mm -hmm. several years. So that was already set up, really easy to get into, and I had already done that. So the nonfiction stuff I did in 2012. Oh, so I was already familiar great. with the process. Got it. Right. So I already knew how it worked, and I got it assembled and. Um, then uh, because I wasn't doing hardcover at first or paperback, uh, I was just doing ebook. It was actually a lot simpler than it had been when I did the first book, the nonfiction. Got it. So that took maybe, it seems like I remember sitting down at like three in the afternoon mm -hmm. and then it was live um, by like 11 o'clock that night. 
<laughs> and then I freaked out because I was able to buy a copy and I could see it and I was reading it and rereading it. And I suddenly realized one particular thing, which the people who read my books will know exactly what I'm talking about, yeah. which is that I had referred to somebody, a, a person who had once been alive, who was now right. dead, uh, in a very derogatory way and actually made him kind of the villain of the story. And I suddenly was terrified that I was going to get sued. And then, and then I had to like talk myself down the ledge by going in and realizing, yes, you, you cannot libel the dead to quote. Yes. Um, and so then I was like, okay, that's okay. I'm all set. Um, so then the book just kind of went out organically. I, I let people that I was already connected to know about it. And then they told their friends and then right. Amazon did its thing where it, it showcases off new authors in a way that I don't understand, but yes. that's what happened. And then I started writing the second book. Uh, now, now you decided to write, you decide, this is a niche that you decided to write into. Talk about that. Talk about, talk about that and how you decided, because you have come up with an entire series of characters across many timelines and, and that you're doing it for, for a particular audience. Talk about that. So what I, Yes, you're right. So everything I write fiction is all mm -hmm. in the same universe and there are multiple series and there are multiple timelines and locations. Right. The primary characters are Nick Williams and Carter Jones. Mm -hmm. Nick is a private detective. Carter is a, a fireman who's kind of on leave. And um, that's how we start. And so what and I'm what is their understanding? What is their understanding? These are gay men. And, yeah, they're and, in a relationship. And, 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 and they're in a relationship. And mm -hmm. what is their relation to the world? How does the world think of gay relationships at the time that you are writing it? Well, this is 1953 in San Francisco. At the time, um, being in a relationship wasn't illegal, but being caught in the act of sodomy was exactly. illegal. Exactly. And um, But there wasn't a lot of enforcement, but it was still mm -hmm. illegal. However, San Francisco, 1953, it's eight years after the end of World War II. San Francisco was probably the gayest city in North America at the time because all of right. all the sailors who had been discharged there at the end this of the war. This is the, the, in the Castro in that, in that area? In no, that the, area, Castro, wasn't, the Castro was didn't later. exist yet. Okay. Right. So they, although they live in Eureka Valley, which is the old word for mm -hmm. the Castro. Got it. The main gay part of San Francisco at the time was the Tenderloin. Got it. And then a strip of Market Street. I've heard of that. I've, I've okay, I've, Thank you. Right. So, so you, you, you were, did you delve into the history of that time in order to begin to write about it so it would have some historical reality to it? I did. So one of the spe very specific things I did was in the second chapter, Nick has is a private detective. He has an office at the, a fake address, seven 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 Bush Street. It's a real place. If, if it existed, it would be what eventually became the Nob Hill Theater, which just closed. Um, but then he walks down to a real building, uh, one hundred Bush, which is called the Shell Building, to go visit his friend and ex lover Jeffrey Klein, who's a lawyer. And his walk down Bush Street. He talked, he is thinking to himself about the different things he's seeing. In order to do that, I had to go to Polk's directory, city directory, which is a thing that is kind of an old fashioned thing that isn't done anymore, that basically listed 
would list a street and then list by the street number what all the different businesses were. So I knew what was there. I also used to live on Birch Street. So I already kind of had an idea of the feel for it, but I had to know exactly what was there. And then I mentioned some of the businesses and it just kind of brings the reader into the into the ambience of the environment. Exactly. And that you've done your homework because you know that when a reader will read and know that you've done your homework because there are going to be some people that are going to know you're, that's going to give them a, a depth of level of that you've actually right. you've actually spent time to be able to get this right. Right, right. So yeah, that's, so the research is important. Now, I will say that there was one big, huge, gigantic mistake I made in that first book. <laughs> the funeral at the end of the book is at Grace Cathedral, which is on Knob Hill. Um, and I describe Grace Cathedral as I remember it lay, its layout from when I lived oh. there in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't know was that um, the cathedral was started in the 20s. It was halfway done when the um, stock market crashed in 29. And very wisely, the Episcopal Diocese decided we're not going to continue building. We want to use our money for other things. And so it sat there half done. And what it looks like when you look at a picture of it from like the 50s, it looks like a giant came along and cut that building in half and took one half of it away and just left the other half there. So there were still people that it was being used as a church. It was already the cathedral, but it wasn't complete. And so where the people would enter for that funeral would be a different street. And also what the building would look like. So I, I did go back later and change that, but... That led to two different things. One is I got a lot more rigorous about my research and Mm -hmm. realized I cannot assume I know anything about anything, no matter what I think I know. Double check and triple check. The other thing is that I found out about this because a reader contacted me and said, I hate to tell you that not only did you use the wrong (laughs) nomenclature, the the minister who's doing the the funeral, the eulogy, you also have misdescribed the building. And he explained it to me. And then I was like, oh, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Would you like to read my books and help me? And he became one of my best beta readers. Unfortunately, he's passed away. But um, for about 10 books, 12 books, he just gave me some great feedback and insight, which was amazing. All right. That's what I want to ask. All right. So here's the process. Let's go back to book two. And you're starting to publish book two. Are you getting a feel for these characters for Nick and getting a feel for them as to uh, becoming real to you and beginning to tell their own stories? Did they tell their stories to you? Oh, yeah. No, I I feel like all I'm just doing is writing down because I write in first person narrative, which means Mm -hmm. Nick is thinking. So he's I did this and I said that. And no, I'm just writing down what he's telling me. That's the best way to put it. So but there is a big change from book one to book two. Book two. Um, they become more fleshed out. There's no question. Also, um, and I can't remember if it was book two or book three where I realized what I had done. But in book one, one of my favorite literary characters is Lord Peter Whimsey, a Dorothy Sayers character from the 20s and 30s in England. Mm -hmm. And there's little bits of Lord Peter in the way Nick talks, Ah. which I didn't realize until I got to book two. <laughs> and then um, the way, so I was like, how do I solve this dilemma? And this has happened multiple times with multiple things. It, then it just came to me that Carter would nudge him and say, okay, cut out your hi-hat talk. 
So the back so the backstory reasoning is Nick grew up catty corner from Greek Cathedral on Knob Hill, the son of a very oh. wealthy man. And when he was uh, 16, got kicked out of the house and never really wanted to go back. And so he adopted his father later, many years later, describes the way he talks as like Sam Spade. Him, like he tries to sound like Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade, which would be right because that movie came out about the time oh, yeah. like 17, 18. Absolutely. Um, so the, um, so that's the way I explained it is that he, when, when Nick has to get his point across to somebody where who's going to be impressed, he can do a hi-hat way of talking. But oh. normally he just says, like when he answers the phone, he picks up and he says, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't say hello. He just says, yeah. yeah. So I had a reader, um, probably I was about six or seven books in, who sent me an email saying, when is Nick going to stop saying yeah? And I said, never. Because that's that's his personality. It's, it's just the way he is. All right. So now you're establishing a communication between the readers and you and this particular audience. All right. Now, within within a lot of the heterosexual literature, there is romance. Are these would would this be classified within the genre of of a detective and with a romantic part or how, how do, how do you frame this for your audience? How, what kind of feedback you're getting at that, this point? Well, it's definitely gay mystery, which is its own genre. Genre. So um, gay mystery. Was, oh, got it. Right. So, and there's already some established writers who I was reading back in the nineties, mm-hmm. uh, like Mark Zubro, who's mm-hmm. actually someone who inspired kind of, his original main characters are Nicky Carter, somewhat like him or like them. Um, But yeah. So fast forward a few books and there was a, there is every year a romance convention here in Daytona beach, which is where Mm -hmm. I live. And, um, and I decided, well, I wanted to go check it out. And I met all these wonderful authors who write gay romance, mostly women. Mm -hmm. And um, I was trying to, see if I could shoehorn my stuff into that. And it, it didn't work because they were very, I talked to some really wonderful people, very smart, very knowledgeable. And they said, no, this isn't really romance. And I was like, that's right. Because this is, I'm not really writing a romance. Although I have written romances, there's no mm-hmm. question. But the story of Nicky Carter, for example, is a long form romance. It's they meet in 1947, they die in 2008. Yep. And, they're together that entire time, except for a couple. They're a relationship. They're in a relationship. Oh, yeah. They're a committed marriage. And in fact, in book two, they start refer- They start using the word husband to refer to each other, which freaks lots of people out. Wow. Of in, course it would. They, you know. yeah. So there's no legal basis for it, but they're like, but that's what we are. That's what we're doing. Your spouse. Um, yeah. So, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, which I think is kind of important, is the, the when I talked about earlier the villain in the first book, mm-hmm. the villain in the first book was George Hearst, the oldest son of William Randolph Hearst. So the Hearst, um, who are kind of, William Randolph Hearst is essentially Charles Foster Kane, but not really. Exactly, so exactly. From, exactly. That was the, he was based on that from, from right. Citizen Kane. From Citizen Kane, exactly. But really, the more I've written about Hearst, I, the more I've realized actually Kane and Hearst are not really the same person. Mm-hmm. But the mythology, the mythology right. of Hearst exactly. rather than the actuality of Hearst. Right. 
So Hearst died um, in 51 or 52, mm -hmm. and he had this very complex will, which I won't get into. But essentially, in 53, George Hearst was more or less running the San Francisco Examiner, which was the flagship of the Hearst Papers. Totally. And it was also just two steps above a, tab a tabloid. Um, and if you go back and read the articles from those years, the 50s in particular, they're just really, there's lots of unsigned articles and editorials in the middle of, of stories. No, I, and it's, yeah, I thought that, I, I really thought that they were like the, like the, the gray lady, you know, very, very yeah, hard journalism. No, it wasn't. Wow. No, that's the Chronicle. The Chronicle was the like. The Chronicle was that way. Was this like the is New the Times Examiner. Times. Okay, now, thank it, you. So what happens, the, the critical moment of the entire series of this entire universe is towards the end of the first book, The Unexpected Heiress, uh, Nick and Carter take uh, two friends of theirs to go have dinner at the top of the mark. And that's also not right. You, you can theoretically eat at the top of the mark, but I make it into a full restaurant sure. for the for the duration of all of these. This is in your fact, universe. Yeah. You get to populate this universe. And as long as the reader can have enough of a credibility, they can go along with your timelines. Right. What happens on this timeline is not the same as happens on this timeline. Exactly. Well, and in fact, um, the, the Mark Hopkins, which is where the top of the mark is, is so integral Nick ends up owning it and in fact ends up having a chain of hotels called the Hopkins Hotels that are named oh, after it. Oh, cool. That, that goes on down the line. But anyway, so in this one instance in 1953, they're having dinner at the top of the mark and they have, um, because Nick is a really famous big tipper and everybody in town knows this. He's very, he's a, what he's a millionaire. Sure. And um, they are having dinner, and he had handed the maitre d' a hundred dollar bill to get a table in the window. Back when a hundred dollars was oh, a lot of money, yeah, a lot of money. Um, and so, in doing so, they displaced George Hurst and his wife, and Randolph Hurst and Catherine Hurst. And Randolph and Catherine are Patty's parents. Now, when I wrote this little thing, I was like. One day I will meet Patty Hurst and I will be able to tell her I said very nice things about your parents. And so every time they show up, it's I'm always like how wonderful they are. Because I actually everything I've ever heard, that is actually the way they yeah. are. Sure. George, however, was not that way. And that's well known. Yeah. So anyway, in this in this event, what happens is they're sitting next to the the Hurst are sitting here and Nikki Carter and their friends are sitting here. And George Hurst starts making these kind of side comments that everybody can hear. And finally, Nick stands up and basically is like, look, because what George Hurst says is like, I can't, ever since the war, this town has just turned into like, it's just become this horrible place because ever, all these, you know, blankety blanks, yep. all these gays are here. And Do you Nick use like, pejorative terms oh, yes. in, oh, yeah. in so 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 that it does have that kind of reality. So we do yeah. we do get a chance to see the bigotry. We do get a chance to see the 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 world as it was during that time, even though we're in San Francisco. Exactly, exactly. And there was just you know just as much bigotry there as anywhere else. Although yeah. Nick does have some insight into that as things go on, and he goes to Georgia, for example. Mm -hmm. like just a few months after this instance and um, gets confronted with some very hardcore bigotry. Um, wow. 
but so they're saying that, and Nick finally just tells them off and it's like, you know, San Francisco, <laughs> San Francisco has always been a whore of a city, which I agree with um, because it, San great, Francisco, great, I, yeah. it was, San Francisco was never a town. It's always been a city yes. and it started up with the, you know, it became what it is now because of the 49ers and because of the gold rush. And that's where Nick's money comes from. So he basically yeah. tells off torturers and stomps off to the bar and Carter follows him and catches him before he gets to the bar and turns him around and kisses him in the middle of this restaurant with all these people watching. So um, nothing happens Nothing happens to them at that moment, but then when they all leave, they go down the elevator and as they, the door opens, there's all these press and all these cameras and they get their picture taken and they're spread across the new, like all over the country as being like, you know, the man who told off George Hurst. Yes. And, um, and that becomes, so what essentially is happening is Nick and Carter, um, 13 or 23 years before Harvey Milk is the first openly gay man or they're the first openly gay men that are known nationally. There are other openly gay men already. That's already happening. But they're known within a circle or within right. literature, or within a yeah, context. Exactly. This all of the process. all of the New York, the New York Greenwich Village, all the, the, yeah. the different places that they have. Yeah, in the in the in the, absolutely. Right. So Nick and Carter end up being outed. Um, and because Nick has money, essentially they well, all of his friends lose their jobs. They all work for the they're, they're firemen and policemen and they all lose sure. their job. Um, but then that gives Nick the opportunity to start a new company which is what everything then begins to flower out of. Um, and so they kind of end up building a parallel place where they can do what they need to do and be safe. And they're protected by his money and that sort of thing. So it gives an opportunity. It doesn't change history, which is some of like, I had someone ask me one time, what would Harry Hay, who was an activist in the fifties, Mm-hmm. who founded the Medicine Society, was one of the founders, and also yes. was just a big activist until he died in the um, 90s. Um, what would Harry Hay think of Nick? And I was like, oh, he would hate him because Nick is a millionaire and Harry Hay was a communist. And so, like, he would have found it to be very, like, and so I built that into some of the stories. Like, when Nick kind of encounters the Medicine Society, which is an early gay rights group, Sure. They keep him at, at a hands at arm's length. They don't want anything to do with him. And that generally, every time he encounters someone who we know historically, they tend to keep him at a distance um, because until Harvey Milk comes around, being associated with Nick, if you're gay, means that you're going to be outed. That's right. And um, so they that kind of further solidifies this kind of cocoon that they live in and well into the 70s all right all right now here's the thing that i want to know because actually i have about 40 hours that i could continue on this conversation but i but i want us this is going to be the seed of what we're doing all right are you are you beginning to see sales are you beginning to see the 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 economic process of building yourself as frank butterfield author and and beginning to see this now in, in like book six or seven, or is it starting to, to to momentum? Are you starting to build that audience? How did that happen? Oh yeah, no, it started off immediately. Um, and I didn't do anything. I just kept writing and publishing. And what I discovered later is that most people will say, 
that is actually the way to do it is just bring out book after book after book after book. And I got to the point where I could do a book a month. I've been for three years, I've been working on three books a month, which I've not, I've accomplished three stories in a month, but I haven't been able to do three books. Um, And in fact, uh, the recent unpleasantness has kind of like caused me to kind of rethink how I was doing my work. But yeah, no. So, so the sales started almost immediately. I, I didn't really do anything. I just put it out there. Um, oh, wonderful. And so when you got, when you got, all right, now, did you decide to, 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 to within your particular series, go from, up from a, a uh, light romance to hard, some that have hardcore scenes in it? Did you have to decide that? What was your, well, what was the, the, the thought process there? You know, it's all contextual to when the story is set. So I have a contemporary series where there's been increasingly more conversation about actual explicit sex and also just wild stuff on the side. Sure. Which makes sense because it's set, you know, contemporaneously. There there were actual bathhouses. There were actual... Yeah, we haven't really got there yet. So here's the thing. Nick and Carter are in... Nick was born in 22. Carter was born in 20. Right. So when the 60s roll around, they're in their 40s. They're also a couple. Got and they're well accepted. Are they monogamous? So not, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And they're not going to bathhouses, but they know people who are going to bathhouses. Like Nick's ex, Mike, who is who runs the security division of their company. Mike and his husband, Greg, they go to the baths. They go to all the bars. They're the ones who are out doing all the stuff right. like that. And so Nick and Carter hear about it kind of from the side exactly um and then of course they hear about it from their employees but so what's happened is i ended um the first series called the nick williams mysteries with book 32 which Mm -hmm. was february 67 nick and carter then because of a traumatic event go to Kauai. they have a house there and they stay there until the princeville development because they live right above where princeville is until the Princeville development starts and then they realize it's getting too noisy because they lived basically in the middle of nowhere until all that started. So they end up going back to San Francisco um, and that's the beginning of a new series called The Adventures of Nick Carter because I didn't want to shoehorn everything into mysteries. I wanted to have a little bit more room to play with stories. Yeah. So the I'm now on book, I'm working on book five of that series and What's happened because we went from 67 to 70. Also, they missed the summer of love. They missed because they were in Hawaii. They weren't there for any of that, which I intentionally did because I was like, I can't, I don't think I would be very good at writing about it. Uh Um, But what has happened is in this new series, it's a lot more explicit, a lot lot more explicit because it's the 70s. So I wrote. It was was pre-AIDS. So yeah, it right. was, so it was and there's liberation and there's liber- gay liberation. There, there's a lot. I mean, people really flew their freak flag, both all across the, 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 right. the, the attraction spectrum. Right. Exactly. Um, which had all sorts of interesting effects and causalities sure. and whatnot. Um, so I've written a bunch of short stories during the recent, recent unpleasantness. I wrote a bunch of short stories that went through a year. So starting with New Year's Day and ending with Boxing Day. And I wrote 24 um, short stories that encompass you, and they're in different time periods. So like New Year's Day is January of 79. 
Mm-hmm. Boxing Day is 1986. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I'm sorry, is 81. But there's like a story at Easter where Carter is like a kid and it's 1929 sure. and, you know, things like that. Um, but so my first story was January 1, 1979. It was a short story set in Dallas, one of the Hopkins hotels. Nick and Carter have opened they, It's the Lausanne Atoll mm-hmm. on Stimmons, but they they own it. So there's a big, huge fundraising party. But that, if you remember that year, that was the year that it that it froze in Dallas. Yeah. And they played the Cotton Bowl on ice, essentially. The Cotton Bowl happened. And that was a, um, there was a very famous, USC was one of the teams. And there was a very famous quarterback. Mm-hmm. That was his, like, his last game to play before he went to the NFL. Yeah, and it was this anyway. So everything is frozen. There's a murder that happens at this hotel at the party, and cops can't get there. Meanwhile, Nick and Carter are walking around. Carter's the center of attention because he's the most handsome man in the world, and everybody oh. always wants to like dance with him. And Nick is like always off on the sidelines watching. And but mostly in the subtext, there is cocaine everywhere because it's dallas in 1979 in the gay Uh community with cocaine everywhere everywhere so some people got offended by that and i was like well that's it's okay that you're offended it's just this is what this is the reality and this is what i'm writing about which bring me brings me to what i think is a very important point nick and carter are extraordinary and are anachronistic and they are they just didn't happen Nobody like that has existed. But what I wanted was to write this fantastical story within a heavily historical context to make it as authentic and real within the context of their, the reality they've created, the world they're living in, to bring it fully into the actual world. So that, like I said, they don't change, they don't change history ever. Um, they're always on the periphery of different things watching it, but when I'm talking about what's actually happening, I never change. I try to make it as real as I possibly can. And in that story, you know, it was snowing outside and it was snowing inside. That's oh. all I can say. Well, this and and, and I love uh, I love the the pride section on your on your website, and I love the historic and the pictures that you're bringing in. I mean, you're you're there, there's so much that you're speaking about. Okay, right now while I'm talking to you, Frank, I'm also talking to the friends uh, and the fans of Frank Butterfield. I want you. I'm talking to you now, all you viewers, all you listeners who are doing this. I want you to please contact Frank or contact me as to what questions have I not asked that Frank Butterfield you want him to answer. You write me, you write Frank, and then we're going to have another one of these. I'm going to drag Frank back up on the screen and we're going to answer the questions that you want. I'm going to put them up there. We're going to do it. And we're going to make sure that we have the conversations about the things that you want to hear about. So I know I sprung that on you, Frank, but that's something that I, that, that, that I think that would be just absolutely wonderful for me and, and wonderful for the fans of Frank Butterfield. I think that's awesome. Yay. Yay. Can't wait. All right. Thank you, everybody, for watching. And thank you for giving us an opportunity. Frank, thank you. Uh, our friendship spans decades. 
and and the fact of being able to see you, I we um, uh, we visited you out in uh, out in uh, in uh, when we went out to Fort Lauderdale and and the Florida. I want to talk with you about so much, including what's going on in Florida and and with all the 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 the, the current climate and the opportunities and the creativity. But anyway, we're going to stick with that. The fans of Frank Butterfield, write Frank, write me, and we. We'll see you next time.